Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 127, Manage Your Workload with Parkinson's Law. I've had students tell me they've spent hours every day studying, and they still don't feel like they're getting anywhere. In one memorable case, I had an older student tell me she was spending four hours each day studying for each of my classes that she was taking from me, and she still felt lost, and she still felt she wasn't doing well on the quizzes. If you've ever sat down to do some work, study or class prep or an assignment, you might have noticed something odd. And that something is, the amount of time you end up spending on the work keeps on growing and growing and growing. And it's like the more time you allow yourself to get it done, the more work you end up doing. Congratulations. You've just experienced Parkinson's Law, which says work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Basically, according to Parkinson's Law, if you allow yourself an hour to do a task, it'll take an hour. But if you allow yourself three hours, it'll take three hours, even if it's exactly the same task or job or assignment. The person who came up with this law was, unsurprisingly, named Parkinson. Cyril Northcote Parkinson, to be exact. He wrote an essay in 1955, which started with his law. Although it may sound slightly humorous, the law has been shown to hold up when we look at the real world. In addition to talking about time management, Parkinson was talking about how bureaucracy will expand by adding employees and positions, even though the amount of work needed done stays about the same, and this has also been shown to be true on multiple occasions. The reason Parkinson's law works the way it does is because our perceptions of a task change as we allow ourselves more and more time to get it done. And the longer we allow ourselves, the more complicated, daunting, and difficult the task looks to us simply because our brains will assume more time equals harder job. So logically, if we allow ourselves less time, the task will look simpler and more possible because our perceptions of it will shift. That's Horseman's corollary to Parkinson's law. Work contracts to fit into the time we give it. Efficiency experts and time management gurus have found some ways to apply Parkinson's law in a way that will help rather than hurt your ability to get things done, largely by harnessing Horseman's corollary. So first, reframe the questions you're asking yourself about how much time it will take to get something done. The Effectivology blog points out that too often, we think, how much time do I have available to finish this task, when what we should be thinking is, how much time will I need to finish this task? Shifting your focus to show how much time is needed instead of how much time you've been given can help you shift your mindset so you only spend the time that you need to spend to finish the task. Second, you need to take control of how much time you will allow yourself to spend on a task. Joel Falconer of lifehack.org suggests that you estimate how long you're going to how long you think the task will take you without compromising on the quality of the work and then cut that time in half. Only allow yourself that much time to get the task done. This has two important effects. First, it forces you to really focus on what you need to do 
instead of frittering away your time with unimportant activities that don't move you toward finishing. Second, it makes you become a lot more aware of time. When you only give yourself an hour to do a job that you've estimated is taking two hours, you get very aware of what you can do with every minute of that hour. Now, it may be that your estimate of how long it took when cut in half is not enough time to get the job done. In that case, allow yourself the time you need, but not more. So if you estimated four hours and took two and you're still not done, allow yourself an additional half hour. If you can't get it done by that point, allow another half hour. But don't just allow yourself unlimited time to finish it or even extended time to finish it. Really work on making sure you're focused the entire time on getting the task done. When you set these deadlines for yourself, keep two factors in mind. First, how much time should be dedicated to this task? You might have 10 hours available, but you really only need one hour to finish it. That means that only one hour should be dedicated to the task. Second, by what point in time should you have the task completed? If you have a month available, for example, a class research paper that's due at the end of the term, but your estimate of how much time it will realistically take is seven hours, then your deadline is to finish it by the end of the week and get it out of the way. So one of these two factors, either how much time should be dedicated to it, or by what point in time should you have it finished, should always be your guiding light when you set time limits on yourself. So either limit how much time you can dedicate to the task, or hold yourself to a deadline by which the task should be completed, or do both. Say, this should take me seven hours, so I need to finish it by the end of the week. That's both of those. Anne-Laure LeConf of the Nest Labs blog lists three methods that help you get more work done in less time using Parkinson's Law. Time blocking, stopping at a specific time, and working without your computer's charger. And we'll go over those now. And time blocking. Don't just list tasks to work on in a to-do list or on a to-do app. Put them in your calendar with a specific deadline, both a day and a time. Also, keep the work sessions a little shorter than you're comfortable with. This will spur you to work smarter instead of harder. Using the Pomodoro technique also helps here. If you've chopped up your time into 20 minute chunks, you'll be motivated to get a piece of the task done by the end of that 20 minute chunk. Another thing you can do along with time blocking is force yourself to change where you are every two hours or so. Move to a different workspace. The Nest Labs blog has a whole post on the popcorn method of making sure you aren't staying in one place all day long. We'll include it in the show notes. Stop working at a specific time. This means if you've said you'll stop working at 4.30 p.m., you stop working at 4.30 p.m. This forces you to tackle the most important stuff before you stop working and leave the trivial stuff for some other time. And the third idea is work without your computer's charger. So this may seem a little unusual, but it creates a fantastic limit on how much you can do because once your battery is dead, you got to stop working while the computer recharges. Now, this can induce a lot of anxiety, though, so it's more a pro-level strategy than one that we'd recommend for beginners. Now, LeConf also provides some common-sense principles to live by when using Parkinson's Law this way. First, set reasonable deadlines. If the task would take someone with your skill levels and your knowledge set eight hours to do, then don't expect yourself to get it done in two hours. You might break that up into smaller pieces and allow yourself only two hours for each piece, but trying to be super-duper productive is going to lead to super-duper burnout, and fast, and you don't want that. 
Second, commit to the deadlines. In episode 93, when we discussed Lauren Handel Zander's method of holding yourself accountable, we mentioned she specifically says, make sure people know about the penalty you've set up for yourself. The pressure of knowing they know will hold you to your word. It's the same thing here. If you've set a deadline to stop working, tell your parents, your best friend, or your partner about it so they can hold you to it. Another great way to make sure you do what you said you would do is to have another commitment you cannot get out of within about 10 or 15 minutes of your deadline, a meeting, a gym session, or a doctor's appointment, because that forces you to stop when you said you would. Another way to do this is to blackmail yourself. Get yourself an outside accountability partner who will make you pay up if you don't hold yourself accountable to your word. However, this is like use the computer without the charger. It's probably more a pro-level method of using Parkinson's law. Finally, practice using Parkinson's law. Check and see. Was your estimate an overestimate, an underestimate, or right on the nose? When you're done with a task, take a few minutes and check in with yourself. How did it feel to finish it? Did you manage to finish it? Were there things that distracted you or took you away from doing what you needed to get done? If so, how can you make sure that doesn't happen again? Now, other things that can help you use Parkinson's law to your advantage include don't try to write a certain number of words per day or a certain number of pages read per hour. Instead, make your rule work on this specific task and get it done before 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. That makes you get the important stuff done early, and that frees up the rest of your day in ways you won't believe till you try it. Set hard deadlines, not wishy-washy ones. Have deadlines like, I will finish this paper by 10 a.m. on Friday, because that is much more effective than, I will finish this paper by the weekend. The weekend is a lot more vague. 10 a.m. Friday gives you a very concrete day and time that you need your stuff done. Give yourself a time limit to complete tasks that fritter away too much time, like email and social media. Give yourself 10 minutes to go through your email at the end of the day, not the beginning. Give yourself a half hour or so to check in on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, whatever other socials you might be using. Establish two or three places where you'll do work and use those in only those spaces where you'll do work. Do not allow yourself to work from your bed or from the comfy couch. Establish the places that are, this is where I study and do work because having those places helps create a mindset that is conducive to getting work done. Make sure that your places are conducive to getting work done, that you're able to set up the workspace with paper, with pens, with whatever you need. Never, ever, ever let yourself use a place designed for relaxation as a workspace. Now, when it comes to our experiences with it, as I said earlier, I had an older student who claimed that she was essentially spending eight hours per day trying to study for the two classes she was taking with me. And of course, she wasn't getting anywhere. But when we started discussing it, it came out that most of that time was spent staring at the computer, flipping aimlessly through the book, and looking at her scribbled notes, which didn't make a lot of sense because they were written hastily and scribbled. None of that was time spent productively. So I told her that for the coming week, she wasn't allowed to do more than two hours for each class each day, so that cut her estimated time in half. And then the week after that, she had to cut that down to 90 minutes, and then two weeks from then to one hour each class each day. And I also told her, plan out what you're going to do in each study session. 
Don't just say study for class. Say read the assigned chapter and make notes on it, or rewrite my class notes into a usable format, or create flashcards for every item on the list of terms and concepts. Now, of course, she protested. She's like, I need that much time to study. I said, but you're not studying. You're not actually doing anything. You're just stressing yourself out, and it's not helping you. As you've already said, you're not doing well on the quizzes. Try it my way. Three weeks later, we checked in. She was so much more relaxed. She said she'd never been taught how to study or how to manage her time, and limiting her time was key to getting herself focused and getting actual work done. I've had to teach myself to not say things like, I will write for an hour. I tend to put a word count that I want to reach. Things like, like, I will write one paragraph or I will write 200 words. So my personal experience has me breaking some of the earlier advice Adam gave. But I know that if I said, I will write for an hour, that hour would be me writing one sentence and starting to surf the web. Maybe I'll come back and write a second sentence, but I'm definitely gonna go back and continue surfing. And by giving myself a really concrete limit uh, or deadline for myself, I now know what my goal is for any given writing session. If I go by time, then I'll tell myself I'm not working past 5 p.m. here. I'm not writing this chapter past 7.30. I generally prefer to use a word count because I see it as more tangible. I can see words on the screen. But setting a stop writing by time also helps me focus my writing. Once I'm able to set my limits, I focus better. I'm able to get in that right mindset that we talked about, and I'm able to focus. But having to impose that deadline is what kind of cues that mindset for me. I'll also say, uh, Dinor, that I was thinking about this when you and I talked about it before. And another thing to do is to say, I will write 200 words within one hour. So that it's not, I will write 200 words, but it's also in one hour. I'm only giving myself an hour to write 200 words, or I'm only giving myself an hour to write 1,500 words. You know, my husband, the writer, he usually says he does a 45-minute sprint, and he can usually crank out about 2,000 words in 45 minutes. So maybe that would be a way to combine the, the tangible, this number of words, but also setting a time limit on that number of words so that that really keeps you from writing a sentence and then going and surfing the web because you know the clock is ticking. You've only got an hour to get those 200 words in. So maybe that would be... I think that works really well. I think that merges both approaches really nicely. And that way you've got that concreteness that you need, but also you've got this Parkinson's law thing, limit your time, right? So students, here's how you can use this. Start using these techniques. And if you're not aware of time, that's a big one. And a lot of students aren't. A lot of beginning students, really, first years especially, are like, time? What's that? And college kind of forces your hand when you're not aware of time. But if you learn how to set it up so that you learn how much time things actually take, you'll already be ahead of the game across most of your other classmates. Now, I want to give a small story here that kind of illustrates the point. Um, I've mentioned the Sidetracked Home Executive Sisters several times over the course of this podcast, and they were two women who got themselves organized in the 70s, and it's my considered opinion that they probably both had ADHD, but back in the 70s, they didn't diagnose 35-year-old women with ADHD. And one of the things that they told their students when they figured out how to get their homes organized 
and time management was a problem for them too, is they would make a card with a job on it and they would put a time estimate. So it would be like vacuum the living room. And in one of their early classes, after about a year of doing it themselves and teaching some classes at their first year anniversary class, they told their students, you know, we would say vacuum the living room and we would assume it takes 20 minutes. So we used a timer to find out how long it actually took us to vacuum our living rooms. And what we found was that it took about seven minutes. So here they are, not even half the time they estimated was what they needed. They only needed seven minutes. They thought they needed like 20 minutes, or I think it was 25 minutes. So it was like a third of what they needed. So what you need to do too is when you're going to be doing, say it's a homework assignment and you know you'll have a similar homework assignment every week, right? Like you have to study for a quiz or you have to do this set of exercises every week. Time yourself the first time you do it and find out how long did it actually take. And then that's your estimate for the next one and the next one and the next one. If you're going to rewrite your notes for a class where you took notes for a 45-minute class, right? Then you're going to time yourself. How long does it take me to rewrite my notes? And maybe it takes you 35 minutes to rewrite the notes from that 45-minute class. Well, now you know. Schedule 35 minutes to rewrite your notes every time you do it. Because if you know how much time something takes, it'll help you get really good at estimating how long other things will take, especially if they're similar. Like if you've got to write a reflection paper every week for your English class, Maybe you have to write something similar for your sociology class. Well, if you know it takes about 30 minutes to write it for your English class, then you can assume it's probably going to take about 30 minutes for your social class, too. Wait, teachers can use the advice in this episode. Model Parkinson's law for your students. Set limits on how long you spend on a task and talk about how you arrived at your estimates and if they worked. Don't be afraid to show students that you overestimated or underestimated the time a task would take. Encourage students to talk about their own struggles with this process so you can help them identify what's in the way of their success because odds are you've gone through some of the same struggles they have and this is a good way to connect with students and be more human. So that's what we have for you in episode 127. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And also, we'd really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast for us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 128, when we'll talk about how to be assertive with your classmates, family, and professors. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.